Hey, good morning. Welcome on Labor Day weekend. I hope you're having a great weekend and uh, that you're going to do something fun. We were planning to go camping tonight. Naturally, the temperatures will plummet 30 degrees. So uh, if you ever hear of any drought anywhere in the world, just call up the Longs. We'll go pitch our tent there. I can guarantee rain within 48 hours. So uh, anyway, that sounds, uh, sounds like a feeling sorry for myself. <laughs> Great to see you. Hey, we're going to jump right into a theme that uh, we've been looking at last week and this week. It's a theme about how to have a personal relationship. Many people hear that Jesus Christ died for our sins. We bear the weight, we feel the weight of sin in our life. And at some point in our life, we come to Christ and at His invitation, we ask Him to forgive us, to wipe our sin away, to clean the slate to come into our life and to give us the assurance of eternal life. The Bible says in Revelation 3.20, if he stands at the door and knock, and if we open that door, he will come in. And so there can be a point in our life when we know, because of an invitation we've made, that Jesus Christ has forgiven us of our sins, that he has come into our life, that he has given us eternal life, and that if we were to die tonight, we know we would go to heaven. But then we began to use a phrase. It's a simple phrase, but it's one that's used often in our tradition. That we all need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And having an experience is not identical to, though the two are involved with each other, not identical to a personal relationship. And for some of us, not all of us, but for some of us, we journey for a while, and while we know that Jesus has come into our heart, has forgiven our sin, and we have the assurance of eternal life. We struggle with the knowledge that he doesn't seem real to us day after day, week after week. And we yearn for that reality. And so we wonder what to do. We may take two or three stabs of it, but when it, when it doesn't work out, we often settle back. We don't abandon our faith, but at the same time, there sometimes come in, comes into our life a tentativeness that comes through not knowing that we have met Jesus today. How do we bridge that gap? Well, the Lord gives us three metaphors in the Scriptures. In the New Testament, all of them are highly relational metaphors. And He's suggesting to us that the dynamics that make these relationships work on a horizontal level are the same dynamics that make our relationship with our Heavenly Father work. He uses the metaphor... Of a, of a parent with a child, the metaphor of a husband and a wife, the metaphor of a friend with a friend. The Lord says, I call you friend. If you were not my friend, I wouldn't tell you everything I'm doing. But because you're a friend, like friends do, I'm letting you in on everything I'm up to. And so the same dynamics that, that function in a healthy family relationship, in a healthy marriage relationship, in a healthy friendship those same dynamics function in my relationship with God. So we're going to look at a little verse here this morning that comes out of Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. It was Jesus' invitation to a group of men to enter into a personal relationship with Him. And uh, it, is, it is this verse, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Would you pray with me? Father, as we dip into this verse, I pray that you'll help us to see its richness and its personal application, that you'll hear the yearning of our heart 
to walk daily with you and to know you as real. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last week we looked at the first two characteristics of uh, this verse, which was Christ's invitation to the disciples, some fishermen along the sea to have a personal relationship with him. Those two dynamics were first follow. The word follow suggests a couple of things. Healthy relationships involve choice, not coercion. And second, commitment. Commitment isn't just about staying in for the long haul. Commitment is allowing the relationship to breathe and have elasticity. And then he said, follow me. The first call of Jesus was not to a set of principles or behavior. The first call of Jesus was to himself. And as he called people to himself, he was declaring a couple things. One, you'll find that I'm a safe person. That I'm not going to violate you. I'm not going to just use you. That I'm safe. And because I'm safe, you can live in the second characteristic, which is exposure. You and I, Jesus is saying, can live authentically with one another, just as we are, without masks, without hiding. Now we're going to look at the last part of this verse and catch uh, two more, four more characteristics out of two phrases that come from this. Follow me and I will make you. Healthy relationships always demand growth. Personal change. No relationship is static. It breathes. There's an ebb and flow. Sometimes feeling close. Sometimes feeling more distant. Sometimes having to renegotiate the issues. There is a movement in relationship. Sometimes we would like to relegate our Christian life just to a set of rules because they're actually far more, they're far easier to manage than relationships are, because relationships move and they breathe. But one thing was for sure. The disciples soon learned that an invitation to walk with Jesus was an invitation to personal growth. In fact, Peter could not have dreamed of the transformations that were going to occur in his life because he had met Jesus. Following Jesus was not simply a matter of, I believe he's the Messiah, and I'm going to track with him for salvation. Some of the most significantly held aspects of Peter's worldview were transformed because he was walking with Jesus. Here was one of them. Peter was a Jew. And Jews had taken a simple principle that God had called them out to be special for the purpose of bringing the Messiah through them to the earth. And they had taken it to another level. And the next level was, we're special, which means we're better. And because we're better, we're not going to have anything to do with you. And it could not possibly have been in Peter's thinking that following Jesus meant meant, meant that he was going to have a fundamental alteration on how he saw an entire race of people. The Samaritans, who were half-breeds, were not even were not even able to help with rebuilding the wall and the temple because the Jews wanted a Samaritan not to touch even a brick of anything related to Jerusalem. And when God gave 
Peter the vision that the gospel was for the Gentile as well. It was mind-bending. At a more practical level, it is likely that in this room, in the hearing of my voice, there are many people that if you really walk close to Christ, would have to fundamentally alter the way you see those of us who have been born in North Dakota. I mean, I'm not getting personal, but I'm just saying. <laughs> no, he, wouldn't have, he wouldn't have realized that following him would have invited him to that kind of change and personal growth. Nor would he have assumed, nor would he have assumed that a personal weakness that he had spent his life burying and living in denial of, By following Christ, that weakness would have been lifted out from under the blankets, set on top of his life, so that it could no more sabotage and deceive him. Peter had hidden that weakness by an overstatement of his own strength. You remember when, when Jesus was telling the disciples that they were going to betray him and flee and Peter, with great fanfare, said, Boy, I'm not going to do that. You can count on me. I'm, I'm as dependable as a rock. And then there was that meltdown in the courtyard. Jesus was in on trial, and the maid just asked Peter if he was one of Jesus' followers. And Peter, in great fear, did everything he could to dissuade the woman that he had anything to do with Christ. Jesus wasn't being malicious in that. He knew that that fear of people had been a shackle around Peter's feet, around his ankles for years. And he wanted to help deliver him from that becoming the power that it was in his life. Now the reason this matters is because there are a lot of people who come into a church and then they leave convinced that the power of the gospel is less than the power of the thing that holds them in bondage. They come into a church and leave believing that the power of the gospel is less than the power of the thing that holds them in bondage. And so we get statistics like this. Since 1990... Every year, people checking the box, no religious affiliation has increased. That in the last decade and a half, virtually every year, the number of young people who have a negative view of church has increased. Of those who actually say they have a personal relationship with God, only 15% say that there's ever been a significant lifestyle change on the basis of that relationship. That, in fact, most people, a majority of people, who say they have put their faith in Christ and they come into the church, leave within 8 to 12 months. Now, we can conclude that they are just weak, that they are insincere, that they are uncommitted. Or perhaps we conclude that many of them were not insincere and they were not uncommitted. 
But somehow the delivery of the gospel did not reach down into the very thing that held them so tightly. They have not found in a personal relationship with God a strength to grow that they yearn to have. But healthy relationships involve personal growth. Secondly, second quality about this phrase, and I will make you, is the quality of communication. You and I have heard almost all of our lives that any healthy relationship requires communication. Now, I don't actually think as a rule most of us have trouble imagining that God can hear us. I suspect that some of us have a hard time wondering if we can hear Him, if He's actually talking back. And there's no healthy relationship if it's just one-way communication. And so we struggle with the concept that we, are actually, we actually should be able to have two-way communication. And yet Jesus himself said, My sheep recognize my voice. Peter's, or Paul said, Faith cometh by hearing. And 15 times in the New Testament we read the phrase, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. When Jesus invited the disciples in to follow me and I will make you, he was inviting them in to a give and take. As you watch Jesus following, working with the disciples over the next three years, there was constant conversation. You say, yeah, but, but Jesus was there in person. I thought it would be easier if Jesus, if I got up in the morning and Jesus was sitting across from the breakfast table from me, it would be a lot easier for him to be real. Except, do you know the problem with that is? Jesus himself said that was not the case. He said, it is better for you that I go away. It will actually be easier for you to live in my reality with me not here than me here. And so after he rose from the dead and he was, he was in his glorified state, we have Mary grabbing onto his garment, trying to hold him, Jesus turned to Mary and said, Mary, you have to let me go. I know you want me to stay in this state, but it's better for you if I go. So when you and I wrestle sometimes with not do we talk to God, but is he talking back? And how do we know he's talking back? And so then we slip into the scriptures. And we find as we read the scriptures over and over and over, God talking to people. Um, now, we believe here around Journey that one of the primary tools God uses is the inspired scriptures, the inspired Word of God. But as we read that Word of God, we find in it, He's also teaching us that God uses many creative ways to get our attention and to speak to us. Sometimes our human reason wants to just shift to default and, and not realize it's actually God trying to get through. But we see Moses hearing the Lord through a burning bush. Peter, when he's going to change his view of the Gentiles, does so because he has a vision of a sheet coming down from, from heaven, and in it are unclean animals, and the Jews are careful about their dietary restrictions, and God says, now eat, and Peter says, no, I will not eat anything unclean, and the Lord says, don't call unclean what I have called clean. Peter begins to understand that this is in reference to the Gentiles. We have Jacob wrestling with an angel. 
So he wants to talk to us. Now, this is a... uh, This is not an easy concept to get a hold of. So when I'm asking the Lord for something, I'm actually quite tentative about whether it's his voice or not. When someone comes to see me, I ask the Lord ahead of time, Lord, do you have anything for them? And sometimes I think that God tells me very clearly, puts an overwhelming impression in my spirit that there's a particular thing he wants, the, he wants the person to hear. I don't ever speak that unless something happens in that meeting that affirms that I'm actually going to say that. Because actually, I'm a scaredy cat when it comes to this kind of thing. I was once having a coffee with a university president, a man who had reached the pinnacle of his own career. His PhD was in a science. And as I was driving to that meeting, I had the impression very strongly that I was supposed to tell him that God was pleased with what he was doing and that he wanted him to stay the course he was on. I said, well, hey, how do I know that's God? might have been like Scrooge, something I ate. And, and B, this guy's a university president, and his PhD is in science, and he's, I don't want to do that. And so, like anything we don't want to do, I tried to drag the conversation out as long as I could until something happened. I don't actually remember what it was, but something happened that gave me a release in my own spirit that this affirmed what the Lord wanted. And so near the end of our conversation, I leaned across the table and I said, you know, I just believe, take this for what it's worth, that God wants to tell you that he is pleased with what you're doing and he wants to affirm the direction you're taking. I expected him to lean back across the table and say, what in the world are you talking about? But instead, this university president sat back in his chair and his eyes filled up with tears. And when he finally composed himself, he said, you couldn't possibly have known a meeting I had in this last week in which I was attacked by others for the direction I was taking. And it has really unsettled me. And the impact of this conversation is far greater than you could imagine. Now the reality is that I didn't move into that discourse with any kind of one-upmanship or great spirituality. In fact, I went into that discourse with fear and trembling. But what I've discovered is, at least for my own life, that if God knows I'll have the courage to act, then he tries to find a way to let me know for sure. He's not going to tell me stuff sometimes just, just because I'm curious. But if he knows I'll act on it, then he goes out of his way. So we read the story of Gideon. And once God tells Gideon he has something for him to do, nine times throughout the story of Gideon, he reiterates it, he repeats it, he finds a different way to come at it, always trying to encourage Gideon that what Gideon is hearing is really what the Lord is saying. 
And so the Lord wants to communicate to us. And sometimes my human reason, which is a gift of God, but sometimes my human reason wants me just to reject any kind of spiritual impulse. I found both through Scripture and in all the other creative ways God uses that he wants to carry on communication with us. Follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. I love that little phrase. Jesus was talking to fishermen. And one of the first things he was telling them that is in healthy relationships, a healthy relationship is always going to affirm your personal identity. These were fishermen he was talking to. And he took something. Many of them were fishermen. They were sons of fishermen. Their grandfathers had been fishermen. This was part of their DNA, part of their heritage, part of who they were. And Jesus is talking to them in respect and honor to their DNA. And when, when you and I have a conversation with God, God is always interested in affirming the fundamental identity that he has created you with. He likes that. Just like a parent yearns that the basic identity of their child blossoms and flourishes and thrives. And so, G- and so God comes to, uh, Jesus comes to Peter. And he says, now Peter, you're a, I'm going to rename you. You're the rock. The rock. Now we're talking about a guy who was about as unstable as Rocky Mountain weather. And Jesus says, you're the rock. He's up one day, down the next. He's all over the map. He's making wild declarations. He's cutting off people's ears. He's the kind of person you'd hide the china before you invited him over to the house. Who knows what he's going to run into next? The rock. Very little about his behavior that seemed to indicate that. But Jesus was determined to interact with the true identity of Peter, not the identity that had been fractured by sin. One of the impacts of sin is that our identity is fractured and we are displaced from it. And God keeps interacting with the true, authentic person you were created to be. And so he goes to to Gideon. And he finds Gideon... In a terrible state, hiding in a wine press. He has a conversation with Gideon, and Gideon says, Well, here are my realities. You want to talk real? The Midianites have more power than we have. I am weak and anemic, and God has abandoned us. That's my reality. And God, as if he is ignoring everything Gideon says, says to him, Now, almighty warrior, Oh, mighty warrior, I got something for you to do. Now, that conversation would have been a little like someone coming to me and saying, I was going to start for the Phoenix Suns next year. Oh, by the way, think, there's nothing in my reality that is possibly going to make that happen. But God was determined to interact with the authentic identity of Gideon, which was the identity of a mighty warrior. And we find even Jesus, born into this world, says, I'm going to name him Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. And at an early age, Jesus says, I have to be about my father's business. I know why I'm here. 
I know the purpose of my life. And as we walk with Christ in relationship, we get to explore and experience the affirmation of the personal identity that we were created with. I was once carrying on a very unscientific survey of my own. I had decided to ask three men in three different settings, not connected, where none of them would hear the conversation, what has been the single most significant thing to contribute to your personal growth? And I was actually stunned when all three gave me the same answer. The answer they gave me was this. The thing that has been so most significant in my spiritual growth is being present to myself. Being present to myself. Determining that the impact of sin to fracture me and separate me from the authentic person I am, that I would not live in that division. And healthy relationships involve involve personal identity affirmation. And then there's the last one. Fishers of men involves common and lofty goals. Peter was going to be the early leader of the church and the first one to introduce people to the fact that the gospel would be for the Gentiles and everyone else. Moses was invited to lead the children of Israel out of bondage, out of Egypt. Joseph brought the children of Israel into Egypt to save them from starvation. Nehemiah rebuilt a wall. When Esther became the wife of a king and then the king was going to kill her people not knowing that that was her heritage. Mordecai went to her and said, you need to speak up on behalf of your people. And Esther said, I can't do that. The king hasn't even asked to see me lately. And you know the law. If you go in without the king asking to see you, he can kill you. Mordecai said, you need to go in anyway. And then listen to this. He says, for how do you know that you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? There is in the heart of everyone a yearning that their life matter. That we were designed for something significant. And I could point out to you people who have accomplished grandiose, great things. But for the sake of a useful application, could I use a dying man as an example instead? One of the great, great preachers of our era has been Jack Hayford. Jack Hayford was pastor for many years at Church on the Way in Southern California. Thousands of people. He's written dozens of books. President and the head of many great organizations. He spoke all over the world. In his chosen profession, you cannot succeed any more than Jack Hayford has has succeeded. But he tells the story of sitting in a hospital room next to his father who was dying. For all the education, Jack Hayford was the president of his own educational institution, for all of his education and all of his success. His father, on the other hand, was a simple man. His father had spent his life working on the railroad. His hands were large and and somewhat rough from a man who had made his living working with his hands. Knowing that the last days and maybe hours were left before Jack's father would die, they had the kind of conversations that were typical of that, kind, that, that moment. And in the course of the conversation, as a proud father, 
Jack Hayford's father turned to him from his hospital bed and said, you know, for whatever else in life I did not do, I die knowing that my life was worth living because your mother and I begat you. My life was worth living because I know that your mother and I begat you. And I believe there is in the heart of all of us a yearning to be able to come to a stage in our life, whether young or old, whether before or at our deathbed, of saying, my life was worth living because, because of this, because this happened, because God showed up in this way, because this transformation occurred, because my world or somebody's world is different, because... And that is part of that healthy relationship where we live to affirm and to help blossom the fundamental purposes for which you and I were put on this earth. So even today, if you're a believer in Christ, the Lord does authentically want to walk with you day by day Not just so he can hear your voice, but so you hear his voice. So that you live in the identity that Christ has given to you. So that there is communication and personal growth. He wants to be real to us every day. Let's set our things aside as we finish today. Would you bow your heads with me as we... uh, Close. And I know it's warm in here, so thanks for being so attentive this morning. We're just going to bow our heads for prayer, and none of us are looking around, and nobody's going to be embarrassed. We're not going to embarrass you this morning. But if what I'm saying is true, then God is with you right now. And He wants to be real to you. And he wants to invite you into a relationship just like he invited the disciples where you not only know that your sins are forgiven, that that weight has been rolled away, that you not only know that if you were to die tonight, heaven would be your home, but that day by day, as you face both the trials and the opportunities of each day, he is there walking with you. You shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And right where you're seated, you can just talk to him this morning. You can pray something like this. Lord, there is a yearning in my heart to know you personally. As much as it is significant to know my sins are forgiven, I want to know that every day as I walk through life, you're walking with me. And so, Father, I'm not sure where to start on this journey except to declare I want the relationship to be more real than it is right now so would you show me what I could do next and in some way would you show yourself to be real in my life would you hear the yearning of my heart We're just going to give you a little space just to pray in your own words, in your own way.
the Lord is laying on your heart to pray to him. You just talk to him right where you're seated. bowed and we're not looking around but could I ask you just to honor the Christ to whom you speak if you're praying today and you're you're inviting the Lord to do something fresh in your life would you honor him by just raising your hand and putting it down saying I'm asking him today yeah here in the middle in the middle in the back over here on my right right up near the front way over here on my left in the front near the back way in the back in the center Father, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for reminding us that while our eternal salvation is important to you, walking with us so that we know you and you know us is important to you as well. For these who slip their hands up, I pray that you'll rush grace, that you'll show yourself to them. And you'll give them insight in how they can partner with you in beginning a new journey makes you as real day by day as the chairs that we're all sitting on. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.